Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. You know, I was, uh, I was reading earlier uh, in the week, there is a company uh, in uh, Eclair, Wisconsin. Uh, crazy thing that they, they manufacture there. Like, like you're not going to believe me, but it's true. They make dolls. That's not the part that you're not going to believe. They make dolls that act like real babies. Real care babies are what they're called. They're, they're dolls. They have like computers inside of them, uh, and they act like real babies. They wear diapers. They're six ounces or six pounds, 21 ounces of baby, and, and they act like a real child. They, they have them like crying at intervals that a normal baby would cry. And they have them like uh, giving them to, to schools everywhere. Uh, and, and teenagers will have to carry these babies around and, and take care of the baby. I, I, I've learned this week that, that in order to care for this, this mechanical child, that you have to take a key and, and like, I don't know, stick it in its mouth or something. And, 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 and you have to keep it there long enough as if you were uh, changing a diaper or feeding the child or caring for the child in the middle of the night. And, and if a teenager were to try and, and rip the battery out of it to make it stop, the computer would recognize this as abuse. And it would only get worse. Now, one person that I read on- online said that this is a reality check for teenagers. I call it a warning. It's a warning. It's, it's a cautionary post. It's a, it's a hazard sign uh, to try and get them to, to recognize a real reality. It's a caution. And you might say that the text that we're going to get into this morning is, is the same sort of, of cautionary post. It, it gives us a difficult reality and, 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 and through it uses it as a warning to try and get us to understand what it's like to live the real Christian life. It, it gives us a, a, a hazard sign and it says, oh, what will you do with this hazard sign? It takes the hazard sign and, and uses it as a manner of saying uh, what is possible if we, if we get off track in our faith. It gives us a warning. It plants in the ground a, a, a post of caution in our hearts. And, and it says to you and I that there are gruesome results for those that lack tough faith. There's a really hard question that that comes out of this text this morning. I'll be so honest with you this morning, not that I'm not honest with you any other time, but but this morning I, I, I wrestled so much with this passage all week long that I don't even want to ask the question that I think this text is answering. It's that kind of tough question. Are you ready for the question? Is it possible? Is it possible for a Christian to lose their salvation? 
Can a person who has once known the goodness of God, who has, who has had the identifying marks of the Christian, uh, of God and, and His goodness of salvation in their life, if they have demonstrated this, is it possible for, for them to, to so reject the Lord, to walk through a door that leads only to corruption and lose salvation. If at conversion, if after we walk through the waters of baptism on the other side, if, if we are found safely in God's hand, is it possible for the person that knows the comfort of being with God in His hand to in another moment choose to jump out. There are all sorts of answers to that question. If you were to do any amount of reading at all on, in varieties of, of Christianity, you would find a variety of answers. But in the text that, that I'm reading for you this morning, the most natural reading is to answer that question with this. Yes. Yes, it is possible. Yes, it is, it is possible. Maybe not probable, but yes, it is, it is possible for someone to reject, to forfeit, to lose the good gift of God's salvation that He's given them. Yes, someone can, can, can so reject God and walk into a pool of corruption, of, of evil, that they would reject God's grace and of their own free will decide to live in darkness instead of light. This is a tough question. It's this warning, and I know some of you are probably sitting there saying, I don't know if I buy it, preacher. I'm not sure if you're right. I hear a lot about other things on the radio when I'm on my way in. And so for you, for someone who, who may say, I'm not sure if I buy it. For you and, and for the rest of us who recognize this powerful warning from Peter, who, who, want to recognize of, uh, who, who want to recognize the warning that God is giving in His, in His Word and how it might impact how we live faithfully, I, I want to take you to 2 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. And if you're reading in the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's that same page that we've been on for the last couple of weeks, page 853. Uh, they're toward the end. First Peter, then Second Peter. I've told you, if you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Flip back a couple of pages. Second Peter, chapter two, verse 17. These men, they are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. 
for their mouth empty and boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom. While they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness at all than to have known it and to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Peter is warning. And what Peter warns is that corruption kills. Peter is the one who, in his other letter, has said, about the devil, about Satan, about the deceiver, that he is a roaring lion ready to devour us. Corruption kills is the warning. It is crouching there ready to have us at any moment. Show the slightest bit of weakness and he'll pounce. Corruption kills. Now, the other half of this, the the other half of this text, uh, the other half of that warning, uh, it's not just so that we would look at the warning, but so that we would align our lives in such a way uh, that would make the, the warning heed its good advice. The warning isn't there just so that we can uh, look at the warning. The warning is there so we align our lives to live faithfully. Yes, corruption kills. That's, that's the warning. That's, that's this explicit piece of this message. Peter's also saying, faith, faith, faith allows stability. Corruption kills, yes, but faith brings stability. I know something about warnings. I'm a dad. Uh, How many of you parents, uh, you have warned your children? If you have, okay, there's one or two of you that have warned your children. Okay, this is is good. We're working on this. Now, let me just tell you how I might go about warning my children. Now, I, I told myself that this is a bad practice, but I still do it. I don't know why. It just comes out of me uh, in the moment, right? Uh, my child will be doing something that I don't want them to do, and I will warn them in the, in the, in, in, in the counting th- to three method. The counting to three method usually goes something like this. Simon Michael, if you don't stop that right now, I'm going to count to three, and if I get to three, you're not going to want to know what's going to happen to you. One, and here's Simon. Two, I mean it. 
Two and a half. Two and three quarters. I'm coming down there. The point of the warning is not so that our children will sit and ponder the warning. It's not so that cognitively they're, they're thinking back in their chair like, is dad really serious? The point of the warning is that they'll get up and do something different, isn't it? The point of the warning is that, that they actually change their behavior because they know that it annoys their father. Quite frankly, the point of this warning is not so that we can come around and argue about the warning. It's so that we'll change our behavior. It's so that we'll, we'll rearrange our life so that we can live tough lives of faith. So that we grow durable and gritty faith. That, that's what he's talking about. I want us to be encouraged this morning to live tough faith. I want us to be driven by the time that we leave uh, this room uh, to say we can live out lives of, of gritty faith. I want to I help us do that just, just by, by pointing out a couple of things. Who is it that brings this corruption? And how do we avoid it? Who is it that's behind the corruption? And, and how is it that we organize our lives in such a way uh, that we can steer clear of those who would bring the corruption that kills? Who is it? The text is going to tell us that, uh, that those who bring this kind of corruption are smooth talkers with slick sales pitches. They talk smooth. They, they look nice, but they're empty. Look with me in the text. Look there uh, about what it says about their mouths in verse 18. It says, For they mouth empty and boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature. Oh man, they, they have it all. They're eloquent of speech. They've got their, uh, their sales pitch down. And, and they make that which is bad look really good. In my time in ministry, I've ran into a couple people who are so smooth in their sales pitch. Uh, you almost have to check yourself at the end and go, what, what did you say? At the end, uh, I begin reeling through the words that were used and things like, oh, it's, it's only natural. You know, God wants you to be happy. After all, God made you that way. And oh man, and put in a whole eloquent way of speaking, those words can, can just go, oh, and, and we'll be nodding our heads in the congregation. Oh, preach. Mm. And yet Peter says, beware of the one whose words are empty. A number of years ago, I was... Uh, uh, in a different church, and uh, I was working with some youth coaches. 
And one of the particular youth coaches that I had been working with had come several times to, uh, to our youth group and was, was uh, uh, doing a, an okay job. And I got a, I got a, a note uh, from someone. Someone came and, and talked to me one time and said, Hey, I, I think that the thus and such person is, is, uh, is sleeping with his girlfriend. And I thought, nah, that can't be true. So I, I walked over and I, I met him and I, I approached him about it. I said, hey, hey, I just got this report and I just need to know. I need to ask you, is this, is this true? And I was really shocked. Not only was it true, but he defended his behavior. It's only natural after all. God wants me to be happy, he said. And I thought, Corruption kills. And you've been listening to a smooth talker. You see, notice something about the character of this smooth talker in verse 19. They, they promise freedom. And the freedom that they're promising is freedom from any, any sense of, of, of moral law. Any sense of moral rule that would, that would govern the life of someone who says that they're a follower of Jesus. Moral law, nah, cast it to the side. Don't worry about it. God loves you after all. He's gracious and kind. And I wonder if there's not a special warning for those of us in the room who, who perhaps are new to this faith with Jesus. Uh, for those of you who, who perhaps uh, are weaker in your faith than others. Who, who, who maybe haven't been practicing uh, the kinds of faith that, that even you would like to have uh, displayed in your life. Notice what the text says there at the very end of verse 18. He says, They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. There are those that are just escaping. Maybe this is a new whole environment for you. Uh, maybe you've just gotten into gathering together uh, uh, with a body of Christians on Sunday morning, and uh, maybe you have just begun to open up your Word, and, and every day is a new aha moment as you, you recognize the kind of love that God has for you. Maybe you're new to trying to, to close your eyes and kneel and pray to God the Father. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and, and you, you, you haven't been practicing faith. And, and like any muscle in your body, it has just grown weak. And you are trying to reintroduce yourself to those same sorts of things again. And, and for you, there is this special warning. In verse 18, it says this word of enticement. You know what that word is? It's a great fisherman's term. These salesmen, these slick talkers, these... These people with eloquent speech, they come in and they, they reel you in. I don't know if you know much about fishing, but if you take a lure and you plop it in the water, not a whole lot's going to happen. It's got to have action to it, right? If you, put a, if you put a lure in the water, what you want to do is, is you take your pole. I'm, I'm really going to get into this, right? You toss it out there right, right over the lily pad, and you, right? 
you, you, you move your wrist just a little bit, right? So what that lure does in the water is it's all kinds of action going on in the water. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get an animal in the water to go, that looks amazing. I can't help myself. I've got to have it. What Peter is saying of these teachers is that they're fishing for people and they're reeling them into the boat of corruption. And they're going to reel you in and they're going to put you in a bin and they're going to shut the door and you need to know that corruption kills. Folks, know who their master is. At the end of verse 19, it says, They themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Uh, what is it that they value? Know your teachers so well. If you're, if you're new to this, if your faith is weak, then I just want to invite you to test those who teach you. To know them so well that you will recognize what masters them. If you know what masters them, you know what value they have. In verse 17, Peter uses these two powerful metaphors. He said, there are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. In an arid climate, water was really important. The thing that you needed for life is water. And so he says, you know what these guys are? They're mirages. They show something that has incredible value, and yet it's empty. You go to the well to draw from it, and it's, and it's empty. It's dry. And so I want to I invite you. Test those who teach you. Test me. Test Josh. Test the elders. Open up the Word and say, is what they're saying true? We have an opportunity today to say, none of us will fall victim to smooth talkers with slick sales pitches. Because you and I both know, corruption kills. Now, corruption might kill, but, but the other half of this warning is really that faith piece. How in the world do we steer clear from those who would, who would desire to lure us away into a boat of corruption? Uh, how is it that we go about living our lives? How, how do we organize our lives in such a way that we can live faithfully, that we can have tough, gritty kinds of faith? Uh, the text is simply going to say, practice addition. Uh, the faith, as I've said several times this morning, is a muscle, and we exercise it. And the more we exercise it, the stronger it gets. And the less we exercise it, the weaker it gets. Uh, practice addition. The answer really has come already in first, or Second Peter. Turn with me over to chapter 1 in Second Peter, and I want you to, to draw your attention to verse 5 in chapter 1. He's already really given us the answer about how we go about avoiding corruption and those who bring it. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add. 
Make every effort to add to your faith. Now what's the reason? He says, he begins, for this reason. What's the reason? Go back to verse 4. It's right there at the very end of verse 4. To escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Again, you want to escape evil corruption? You want to make sure that when the lure is popped in front of you, that you you don't follow after it? Uh, You want to make sure that that you're listening and testing those who teach you? Uh, You want to make sure that you're valuing the right things? Peter says, practice addition. Add to your faith. He says, add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Because, because if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? You add to your faith. And you know people in this church right now who are doing those very same things. Uh, a couple of months ago, it was Christmas time, and uh, I, I had a, a, one of those car carriers on top. Any car carrier fans out there? Uh, nobody wants to admit to that. Okay. Uh, we have a car carrier, and, and man, I love that thing. You can stick stuff in it. I'm like, it's like a trunk on your roof. It's fantastic. But, you know, I'm always worried about, you know, you're going down the highway 70, 80 miles an hour. And, uh, and you know, it's, you're like, it's got a lot of stuff in it. I don't want, want it going anywhere. So I'm wrapping it up with straps, you know. And, and, and I bring uh, Rick over and I say, Rick, uh, can you look at this for me? And he goes, you know, checks the straps. Oh, I think it looks good. And I said, oh, I don't know. And he goes, let me go get you another strap. So he goes to his house. He brings a couple straps. I'm able to put them on. And here, here's all the point. You, you might say, oh, that, that's just a little thing. That's somebody being friendly. I'm saying, according to Scripture, it's not just a matter of friendliness. It's a matter of brotherly kindness. And when we act like that, when we do little bits like that, what we're doing is we're, we're exercising our faith. We're pumping up our faith. We're making our, ourselves uh, people that are harder to get at. We're developing tough, gritty faith. This last week, I was having some troubles with my truck, and, and I found the resident mechanic for me in the church. So I, I kept calling Steve Whitney over and over this week. I, I just said, Steve, uh, this is happening. And I texted him and I was, I was giving him pictures. And he so graciously got on the phone with me and walked me through. Well, try this and do that and look for this. And you might say, that's just, that's just some guy doing what he likes to do. And, and I would say, no, no, it's not. Because in the Christian realm, and the economy that we live in, what we're doing is we're practicing faith. And, and, and Peter says, no, he's adding to his faith by practicing brotherly kindness. Knowledge? Knowledge, we have an opportunity every week uh, to, to, to recognize something more of the Scriptures than we did before. Not just simply in the message, uh, but when we go to Sunday school and we really begin to study and dig in. 
Several weeks ago, I know, back in the fall, Josh, uh, our lead pastor here, decided to go uh, down to Nebraska Christian and and for an entire week go back to school so that that he could say, I want to know more about what it means to lead well in the church. And you could say, well, you know, that's Josh doing his job. But but what we could also say is that is Josh saying, I want to add to my faith knowledge about what it means to be godly and the lead in that way. And there's some of you here today that, that, that are maybe like on your last string. And, and you're, you're maybe in what some would call and recognize as a, as a dark night of the soul. You came this morning, you didn't want to be here. You read your Bible, but don't want to read it. You get up every morning and and you're like, I know that I should read. I know that I should pray. I know that I should be doing something. But for whatever reason, you you have reached that point where God just seems distant and you're like, I don't know. And Peter says, in order to avoid the corruption that kills, practice perseverance. Perseverance. So maybe for you, what you do is you just say, God, I want to be honest with you about what I feel about the things that I should do. God, my enemies are around me. I, that really stinks. God, I don't really want to pray. I don't really want to go to church. And can I encourage you that if you are willing in that state of life, in that state of faith to to say, I'm I'm going to hang on to perseverance, that you will exercise your faith and find that God becomes closer. You might say it's just someone trying to figure it out. No, I would say it's someone who's adding to their faith. Peter says, he warns in this passage, corruption kills, but faith brings stability. You want a stable life? Develop tough faith. Can we do that? All right, let's pray. God, you're good to us. Uh, I thank you for your word and how you open it up to us. Uh, I just pray for those hearers. Um, I pray, Father God, that I will value what is right. I pray that I will be mastered by that which is only of you. And every week, I pray we will come and we will add to our faith that you might strengthen us and keep us from corruption. I love you, Lord. Lead us to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.